Welcome to episode 15 of Iron Man Talk, your weekly fix in all things Iron Man. Alright guys, so uh, welcome along to Iron Man Talk episode 15 with Coach John Newsom and Bill and James Oz. How you going, John? Very good. Communicating from around the world. This time it's in Singapore. So I'm sitting in the airport so, and there's a few people sitting around me so don't expect uh, too many little, little uh, introductions. I'll leave that all up to you today. Oh mate, that's the goal of the show. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so in this week's shows, there's not a lot of racing happening over last weekend. We, there's an Oliver Half, which we may quickly look at. Um, races coming up next weekend. We've got we're going to talk a little bit about the doping in Tour de France, which isn't really Iron Man, but we're going to try to put an Iron Man spin on it. Uh, high five today is post race recovery. We've got a website of the week. There's no coaches corner this week, and why is that, John? Because we've got a couple of uh, the final interviews from Epic Camp France. I know a few people have been enjoying those, so I'm going to do a bit of a wrap on the camp. And then uh, we've got a very quiet interview with Scott Molina on there, so hopefully you guys can hear that. And also another one of the campers, Ed McDevitt, who uh, is never short of a word, so he has a bit of a chat to Bevan as well. Yeah, Scott's so calm, and he's so calm when he talks. And I'm so loud. <laughs> so you guys will figure that out soon. So uh, last weekend, races-wise, it was bugger on, really, wasn't there? Yeah, there was Oliver Half over in um, Canada, and uh, Matt Seeley won that. Um, and also Kiwi fella Ollie Piggin was over there. He got third place. I think he sort of bases himself out of Canada. And uh, Lucy Smith won the women's. Yeah, he does. Well, I'm not sure. He may have dual citizenship, but he, he spends a lot of time in Canada. But uh, he, he certainly is a New Zealander and has gone top 10 in Ironman New Zealand before. Yeah. So um, I'm not sure, quite sure where his allegiances lay at the moment. But uh, Lucy Smith finished 10th. She won the women's. Um, and that was about all the names I really recognised on there. We did have a one of our epic camp fellows from uh, Australia a few years ago, Seth. He, he finished in the top 10. So nice to see oh, wow. some epic camp guys still out there racing. Cool. And yeah, that was about all I really found over the weekend. There was, although this isn't really I mean, to see Hamish won um, ITU over the weekend. That's right, so I've just been reading up about that, so the Kiwis are kicking butt again, and um, I think a lot of them are getting ready for the, uh, the Lifetime Fitness coming up, uh, mm. next, I think it's next weekend, yeah, it next so weekend. there's uh, 250 grand or whatever it is on the line, so... Yeah, the, the Olympic distance guys can make some good money these days, but it's a shame the Ironman fellas can't really. It's a bit of a battle. <laughs> Us poor Ironman, eh? So next weekend coming up, we've got yeah. a few races. We've only got, we've got Ironman Austria coming up, which seems to be quite a fast race, doesn't it? It is, yeah. It's always fast every year. And uh, so we've got our triathlon trifecta tantalizer. I'm ready to kick your butt again. Wow. It's uh, It's been a few weeks. We've missed the last <laughs> couple, but I'm, I'm pretty confident time. in my... <laughs> uh, actually, we, we both we, we both got the same picks last time, didn't we? It was a shocker. Yeah. So hopefully we've got some different ones today. So what have you got on the plate? Okay, so I'm going to go Norbert to win. Oh, all right, okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And then I'm going to go... Um, I'm going to go Marino to come second. Yeah. And then Mitchell to come third. Okay, we've got some different picks here. I'm going with uh, Felix Martinez to win. Oh, and we then, couldn't uh, find his name Chuyport. on the list. Where was Martinez? Oh, well, you, sh you obviously weren't looking hard enough. <laughs> Is he down the and bottom then, of the uh, list? Oh, there's somewhere on there. 
<laughs> oh dear, oh. it's falling to falling to pieces. Oh, I'm, not happy. I'm an angry man. Uh, uh, and I've got Tourborn Cinderbell and coming in second. He he's the uh, race record holder for the bike at, at Hawaii, so he'll absolutely kill everybody on the bike. So it'll be interesting to see if he holds on on the run. And then uh, Marino Van Honacker coming third. He won uh, Ironman Wisconsin last year. Was I think it was Wisconsin or Florida. He um, he actually came over and trained in Christchurch a few years ago, probably back around about 98 or 99. He was down in Christchurch, and we had a summer training with him. He's actually a dual athlete turned uh, triathlete. So didn't used to be able to swim, um, but he's got his swimming up to up to scratch. But he's pretty pretty lethal on the bike and the run. Not happy. Admittedly, I did these picks like two minutes before. <laughs> I'm an angry man. You heard of so, you heard of the, uh, the 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 five P's or the six P's? What, what are the six P's? Prepare, 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 or something like that. Is yeah, it? proper pre- proper preparation prevents piss poor performance. <laughs> it's a valuable. So, you should have said that. Yeah, coach's corner. <laughs> I should. And uh, did you ever look at the girls or not? No, I didn't get a chance. No, well, it's interesting to see Laurie Bowden's down to race, so whether she, she rocks up or not, but we, we talked about her a few weeks ago, mm. um, either either winning or coming second in a half Ironman somewhere. So it's it's not too bad a uh, girls' field. There's Laurie and, and Jess Patterson, who's a, a strong UK girl, and Nicole Best, so those are my three picks. Um, but yeah, it'll be very interesting to see Laurie Bowden coming back from having a baby and seeing how well she performs over over the Ironman distance. But most most females seem to come back pretty strong. So yeah, I'll be I'll be interested to see how she goes. So, what is the field? What like it's obviously a fast race. Is it a hot race? Like, what kind of conditions are they in for in Austria? It's it's usually it's it's quite a flat bike course, I think. Um, so they they usually wrap it up pretty quick. So it'd be interesting to see what old Chilborn Cinderbell does. Mm. Um, yeah, he'll he'll really wrap it up. Mm. So yeah, I haven't raced there, so I can't. Results, that I think five or six guys got under uh, eight and a half. So you know, definitely yep. a pretty fast field. Yeah. 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 So we'll we'll uh, we'll see see how your fellas do. Mitch Anderson, he might he might be he might get up there as well. And uh, there's quite a few Austrians racing, but it's you know it's not a stellar deep field. But uh, there's so much racing on at the moment with um, you know Switzerland that was it last week, and mm. then France a few weeks before that, and then yeah, Lake Placid coming up as well, and Roth and Ironman Germany's coming up as well, so lots of racing in Europe, so the the guys are all sort of spread far and wide. Mm. Did, I'm not 100% sure if I've got this right, but I saw that Roth and Ironman Germany seem to have an affiliation. Did you see that? Uh, no, I didn't. I'd be surprised if they did. But oh. yeah, no, maybe I was reading into. Maybe things. we should do. Yeah, I'll look into that one. Maybe we should uh, research a bit better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was just <laughs> passing comment. So, we're at Tour de France. So, what was it like over there with the Tour de France? Well, it's 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 always big over there. I mean, it's live on TV all day, and then they have um, interviews all night. Obviously, it was a bit interrupted because of the World Cup, the football, but. Uh, Still really big, and uh, there's obviously a lot of controversy around the doping this year. It's mm. um, it's big news, you know. The, these these it's the blood doping this time, as opposed to to EPO and, and other things. Uh, but it's it's not really just going to be um, cycling that's going to get affected. That's why I thought it might be worth bringing up because uh, the implications look like there's going to be quite a few other sports involved. You know, tennis, football, athletics. I haven't seen triathlon mentioned, but uh, possibly. And uh, so it's pretty serious, and, and a lot of the top guys have been wiped out from cycling. You know, the guys who were expected to win the Tour this year, Jan Ulrich, Ivan Basso, they're all being suspended by their teams, and it, it could be the end of quite a few careers. And uh, 
when they knocked out you know 30 or 40 guys out of the Tour de France, it's pretty major, yeah, and it's so isn't it? it's it's not looking good for cycling because I think a lot of sponsors will pull out, and uh, and yeah, it's going to be very interesting times ahead for them. Um, so, but I also heard through the grapevine that. Uh, at, at Ironman uh, Coeur d'Alene, they actually tested the top 10 women, um, which is probably the most widespread testing I've ever heard of in Ironman. Um, so it was just a rumour I've heard. I haven't had it authenticated at well, this stage. Well, you should have done your research but, uh, on that I'll, one, mate. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll, see, I'll see what I can do. But uh, if, if that is the case and they have tested the top 10, that's fantastic. And I yeah. think that'll uh, send a bit of a shockwave through people because uh, in the past, you know, we've talked to Gordo and people like that and, and you know, they've never been tested and they've been regular top 10. So if they could always say we're going to test the top 5 or the top 10 at every Ironman race, yeah. I think that would uh, Eliminate would send a bit of a shudder through the athletes and I think it would really prevent a lot of um, you know, future drug-taking in triathlon. In, in Rugby League in Australia, they have this magazine called Rugby League Week and each year they have a um, they interview all the Rugby League players. They interview like a segment of the Rugby League players and they always ask who are taking drugs and it's, it seems to be a really honest type of um, survey and it's fascinating because generally they admit to around 50% of them are taking around, you know, are taking performance enhancing drugs and it'd be fascinating to see if we could have, I, I imagine it would never happen, but if we could have a test or a survey where it was very closed doors and athletes knew that it was never going to get out of how many people in our game would actually be taking drugs. Yeah, it's, uh, and there's a lot of speculation out there at the moment, but I think what's probably preventing it coming into triathlon is, is just not the money there at the moment, yeah. and, uh, and that's a problem. You know, most of these, I think Ironman um, athletes could get a huge benefit from drugs if they take them, but they just simply, it's, so, it's such a hard way to make a living, so only probably the top few, if they wanted to, could afford it, so... Um, yeah, so, so I think it's there is some out there, but I, I don't think it's too widespread at this stage. So do you know how the um, blood doping actually works, or the blood? So it's obviously red blood cells they're working on. No, that they, they simply it's just blood transfusions. Well, I haven't actually read all the articles because it's all been in French, but I'm pretty sure it's just blood transfusions. So they take your blood out, they store it, and then when you're ready to rock up, you go back and they pump the blood back into you. Oh, really? Mm. So it's pretty serious stuff, you know. It's yeah. not not a case of just popping a pill. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm sure it wouldn't lie on people's consciences quite as much if you're just popping a pill. But when you're actually going in somewhere and they're sucking all your blood out and then putting it back in, that's uh, it's pretty serious stuff. It's interesting the Tour de France as well is that they've actually um, you're banned and you don't even have to be proven guilty. You actually, you know, how they're not able to do the race even though no one's actually been proven guilty as of such. It's, uh, yeah, well, the, t the teams have all suspended the riders, so yeah. they're obviously uh, where there's smoke, there's fire, and mm. uh, I think what they really wanted to avoid was the uh, athletes actually getting arrested, which is what happened a few years ago, so they've they suspended the riders to, to, to avoid that situation, I think. Well, yeah, that's interesting, because you think with blood transfusion you couldn't get arrested. Yeah, well, this, the police are involved these days, it's yeah, all... Uh, Money, yeah, it's it? pretty serious stuff. Mm, mm. Mm. Anyway, so yeah, it's fascinating stuff, and it's it's a bit of harmful to all sport, I think. And uh, just just one passing thought: I, I remember listening to a sports radio station a few years ago, and some guy was quite a big advocate of having open drugs in sport. What's your thought on that? Well, I, no, I I just think that sports supposed to have some ethical boundaries, and, and people try to push the boundaries all the time, but. Uh, no, I wouldn't want to see a freak show happening like that. I can completely understand the point he's trying to get across. Mm, his but, his um, argument was that, no, well, it's there it, anyway, and so, you know, why don't we try yeah, to control what... But, uh, yeah. 
Yeah, no, I completely disagree with that, and I'd, I'd hate for it to ever seem that way. I mean, I think other people have suggested having, you know, two Olympic Games, having one for people who want to take drugs and one for people who don't take drugs. And, uh, yeah, no, I just completely disagree with those, mm. that sort of logic. Yeah, it's interesting stuff, isn't it? Anyway, we'll move on. We're going to go on to our high five of the week. So I'm going to, do you want me to do it or do you want to do it over there? You, you can do the introduction. I've got people sitting all around me here. Oh, come on, mate, do it for me. You've been a legend. <laughs> No, I'm, I'm quite all right, thank you. Okay, so we're going to go, one, two, three, four, half five. There you go, guys. There we go. You're doing a fantastic job back there in Kiwiland. Um, I just thought I'd bring out um, just a quick high five today. Um, it's yeah, really post-race recovery. So I, I know when people do Ironman, um, the last thing they probably think about is, is recovering because the next race is going to be so far away. So this is really more geared towards people who have maybe got a, a B or a C priority race and they're just sort of building up to their main race and uh, they want to recover as quickly as possible so they can return to training. And if you do follow these um, few steps, you will you will seriously increase the uh, decrease the amount of time that... Um, you're going to have the fatigue in your body. So first thing people want to try and do is to try and do a good warm down after the event. So that could be anywhere from sort of 15 to 60 minutes of um, easy biking and easy running. So as soon as you finish, um, you want to just try and get hydrated and then get back onto your bike uh, or get jogging and that will help your recovery quite a bit. And that kind of leads on to my, my second step, which is uh, to make sure you're really well hydrated. So as I just said, as you come across the finish line, um, obviously you might be a bit puffed at the first few seconds, but as soon as you can after finishing, um, get some electrolyte drink into you and uh, and, re and really start to hydrate quickly. Mm. Yeah. Uh, my number my number three one is to uh, if it's a, if you're finishing we we started uh, try and get into the into the sea or into the lake. Um, yeah, after you've done your warm down, um, especially get your legs in there and just try to cool them down. So that's uh, number three of the high five. Number four is to have a, have a good stretch once you've done all of the above uh, and just mainly stretch out those hamstrings, calves, uh, especially if it's been a sprint distance one and people are wearing racing flats, your calves can generally get pretty tight. But just have a good general stretch. And my number five from the high five is uh, when you get back to your motel or your hotel or, or back home, is to put your legs up the wall. Um, so that means, as it sort of sounds, uh, put a little pillow down by the, by the wall and just roll up so your legs are pointing straight up to the ceiling and, and stay in that position for a good uh, good 10 minutes or so and just let, all the, just let the, all the blood just flush out of your legs. Nice. So that's my high five, Bevan. Oh, nice. Right. Any, anything to add there? Um, I think maybe Sorry? if you can afford to get a massage, that always helps as well. Um, most yep. most races have masseuses there, so if you can actually support the, you know, and they're pretty cheap, so chuck in, you know, the extra ten bucks or fifteen bucks, and uh, particularly in the lower legs in those areas and your quads and your calves are really important. Um, depends on your intensity as well, but yeah, yeah, no, you're you're on it, mate, you're on it. Ah, oh, thank you, thank you. <laughs> right now we've got the the next feature, which is our feature website, website of, the of the week. A reverb at all. Oh. Oh, they look at you funny. <laughs> Uh, everybody, there's a few people with very strange locks, but never mind, life goes on. So we got an email from Alan Ryan, and Alan is based in, I think it's Ireland, isn't it? Yep, it yep. is Ireland. Yeah, it's Ireland, and uh, Alan and a few of his mates did a Ironman race in uh, Austria last year, actually, and an Ironman Austria, and within that, they actually made 
Well, they basically filmed a lot of the stuff they were doing through training, and then they also made. They're basically trying to make a documentary outside of you know of their event, and they basically had four guys worked together throughout this uh, training period, did the race together. Now they've put together a really basic um, collection of what they've done with their their movie. Well, I suppose it's a movie, and they're aiming to actually create a documentary. And they were kind of looking for some help with doing this for some maybe a production company and they're trying to put that out there to the world so they asked us if we could really talk to the Ironman talk crew and see if anyone out there would be able to have a look at it and even help to maybe edit it and make a better production of it for the world and uh, so you can check out their website now we'll have it on our show notes at ironmantalk.com um, and check out they've got a 20 minute um, kind of show of the, what they have already and uh, it's, it's, it's interesting at times. They got a few laughs, and you were you were interested about the uh, helmet they had or something. Yeah, they they were talking. Uh, I just reading his email here. They 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 filmed the swim and they filmed the bike and they were they doing sort of. On, I haven't I haven't looked at the footage, but were they doing on the road footage by themselves? Were they? Yeah, yeah. There was this great scene where one guy's riding on his bike on the ice and he falls off big time. Oh, it's insane. <laughs> 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 uh, yeah, I tell you, it's um. He, he, he says here that uh, things, you know, that the, the sport's still relatively small in Ireland. But uh, I know we've, uh, I've got a few people I coach in Ireland, and, and the sport's going crazy over there at the moment. There, mm. um, a lot of the races are very difficult to get into. So it does sound like it's really picking up over there. Well, they must have put a lot of footage in there because he's saying that they've got over uh, two and a half hours of footage or something. And uh, they've currently they've just brought that down to twenty minutes to give somebody an idea of what they're doing, but. Uh, I don't know about you, but if you ever tried to film stuff, that's a lot of work. So to film that much kind of footage and actually have it so it's actually working towards something is real hard work. And so they're basically trying to hope to find someone who can help them out on their path. So if you know of anyone or you mm. may know how to do this yourself and you want to check it out, um, give them go to their website and give them an email. But also just go and check it out. It's a bit of a laugh at times. They don't actually show much of the um, that, the video while they're swimming. Or like they showed one little shot and it looked kind of cool, but... It looked really intense, and which uh, for those of you who have done Ironman know what that's like, but it would have been cool for, to see a little bit more of that. But um, yeah, yeah, bring it on. Okay, so there's no coaches corner this week, but we are going to talk to John about the Epic Camp. So how do you wrap it up, mate? What, do you, what did you think of it all? It, it was a tough one. Um, as you'll probably hear in the interviews, uh, Scott probably rated this as the toughest Epic Camp uh, that there's been so far. It was just just huge. I mean, the climbs. Uh, I went out yesterday and actually uh, did a couple of climbs. I finally got a day off. We went, once I dropped everybody to the airport and went and rode the Col de Mary Blanc and the the Col de Bisque. And um, it's, it's just no. They're very relenting these climbs, and it does give you a good lesson in pacing yourself. Uh, I know when I went up the Tourmalet, I blew to pieces because I went out too hard. And, yep. and I think the guys learned really quickly on on how to pace themselves up the mountains. But it was was incredibly tough. The guys went through. I think most of them were around about 55 hours for the first week, and uh, and really kept that going all the way through. So um, as usually happens when you get past around about day eight, day nine, um, cracks do start to appear, and you know the guys are sort of missing their families. They're getting pretty tired, and 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 that's really really the, whether they've got to push through. And they did that. We had uh, events day, which was pretty tough, but the guys um, really pushed through after that, and they quite enjoyed the last couple of days. So, do you find, um, do you find that they um, <clears throat> experience maybe a little bit of depression, like you know that kind of oh, the, the downside of it? Oh yeah. Do, Definitely some of them, um, it's a bit like an Ironman really, I mean you have good days and bad days but uh, definitely once you're getting past around about day 7, day 8, um, 
the guy, some of the guys are just amped and they're going for it every day. But when you get a bit tired, you're just getting a bit sick of being in a camp situation. Um, yeah, some of those things start to come in, but that's what it's all about is uh, you've got to get out there and, and still do the business when you are tired. And uh, it helps hugely on Ironman Day because Ironman just becomes um, so much easier. You've done basically done an Ironman for, for 12 days in a row, apart from the, the doing the full run. You've, you've more or less done a full swim and a full bike every day. Mm. So uh, incredibly challenging. The guys did exceptionally well. Um, no complaints really. They, they just got up there and we had uh, probably set the course, which was perhaps almost a little bit too hard, um, but they got through it. You know, everybody got through it. We, ate, we had one man down um, briefly with a, an Achilles problem early in the camp, but he, yeah. uh, he came back, which was fantastic. And then we had another fellow who um, actually got a stomach bug uh, towards the end of the camp, but he battled on and uh, he, he really suffered a lot, but uh, it wasn't the fact that he was so tired, he just had a stomach bug. So, so everybody got it through it really well, and, um, and we had a good night out at the end, and... Uh, and then they'll all be back home now, just sort of licking their wounds and, and resting up. And some of them got races coming up shortly, and some have got races coming up, you know, Hawaii later in the season. So, do you find, um, what's it like from your perspective, being someone who's there but not really like doing the um, physical stuff every day? What do you find, was it really awesome watching these guys grow, like through the, through the experience? Yeah. It was, it was good to see the guys um, that had a lot of doubts and they were having doubts after a couple of days and um, they just really got into rhythm and I think that's uh, probably what happens on the Tour de France as well. You know, this, uh, you, you might be after day three or day four of the Tour de France, you're suffering like crazy yep. but you do just tend to then get into a routine and um, and you're just getting up every day and you're getting used to the training and you're getting used to being tired um, and that's what Ironman training is about. You know, the racing's tough, but the training's just as tough, and you have to learn to train when you are tired. Um, but for me, from my point of view, it was it was a really tough camp. Um, we had a slightly smaller support crew, which put a bit more pressure on me to, to get things done. And yep. so there was never really a, a moment where I got much of a breather until the last couple of days of the camp. So there was always something happening for me. Uh, so I was on the ball sort of very early in the morning to very late at the night. So... Um, I feel like I've been through the tumbler as well, you're and uh, money, doing a couple money. of yeah, <laughs> doing the couple of rides as well. Uh, that's uh, sort of knocked the wind out of me a bit. But now it's back to back to sunny Christchurch, in the middle of winter, going from 30 degrees to probably about 10. I'm, I'm, I'm I can't wait. I'm really looking forward to that. that. <laughs> Getting out on the bike with you. Hey, I asked Scott when I interviewed him the other night, which you guys will hear soon. Um, who he was most impressed with. Um, well, not maybe most impressed, but maybe who surprised them in the camp. Do you is there some names that maybe stood out for you? Um, yeah, there was there was a couple. Jonathan Kelly was a guy from the states who, um, you know, he hasn't been doing a lot of Ironman stuff for the last few years. He's sort of been been in the sport for a while, um, but he really came through very very strongly at the end of the camp. And uh, he's very good mates with one of the guys you interviewed very early on, Jeff Schilt. Yep. And probably both those two guys. Um, they probably shone the most in the la towards the end of the camp. They really came through. They were trying to put a lot of pressure on Scott Molina, actually trying to overtake him in the uh, points competition. Oh, okay. Those those two were fantastic towards the end. Uh, Mike Montgomery, who won the the yellow jersey, uh, he was very strong throughout. And and you know if you've got to beat Gordo, you've trained with Gordo enough to know that yeah. he's a pretty competitive fella. And uh, Gordo certainly didn't um, put up the white flag until until uh, right at the very, very end when he knew, he knew he couldn't get past Mike. So Mike was very, very strong, and it would be very interesting to see um, how he sort of pushes on from this because he's so a fantastic a pro, um, biker. 
No, well, he's, he's training full-time at the moment, but he's still racing age group. He's um, he's sort of uh, still got a few business ventures he's involved in, um, but he's giving it a really good crack. And, uh, you know, potentially he, he could be on the, the podium in Hawaii, so uh, on in the age group side of things. Yep. Uh, so, so it'll be interesting to see how he progresses. Um, but no, everybody did really well. It was great. Um, no complaints really. Everybody just knuckled down and, uh, and did the business. So, how much of it is, it, is it, how much of it do you believe is attitude? Uh, a fairly large portion. I mean, the reason why people come to Epic Camp is they want to take it to the next level and they uh, want to push themselves to the limits. And an, and a number of the guys don't necessarily come to the camp. Um, to specifically prepare for for a race, they come to the camp to find out how much training they can actually do before they completely fall to pieces, yep. and uh, and that's what a lot of them found out. They 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 surprise themselves. You know, a lot of guys their biggest weeks might be say 25 to 30 hours, and they rock up to a camp, and in the first week they do 50 to 55 hours, and it's yeah. it's simply uh, it's I wouldn't say it's impossible, but it's very 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 difficult to try and do that by yourself or just one or two people mm. um, and I think that's where the guys really appreciate the the support crew because we're there sort of roughly every um, hour and a half on the bike hour and a half to two hours we're out there giving them food um, and drinks and just making sure they are eating and drinking and that's what sort of enables them to get through the day is making sure they are really well hydrated and, and getting those foods in because if you, if you fall off that you just fall to pieces very very quickly mm-hmm. Any little last insights you want to add? No, well, hopefully we'll see you on one of these camps soon, and we can do a, maybe a daily a daily podcast of Bevan falling to pieces as he goes through Epic Camp. Oh, I don't know about that, mate. I'll dominate. <laughs> <laughs> I will. I will. I will be interested to see you there one day, and um, giving Gordo a bit of a hurry up. Yeah, Gordo and I like giving Gordo a bit of a push. Although, although he's far, <laughs> he's far better than me. I remember one time I went for a ride with Gordo, and we did like two main sets. And the first main set, this is when I kind of first met Gordo, and. Um, first main set I kept with him I think he was kind of surprised and I kind of started trying to push him and then the second main set he just thought nah bugger you and he just shat on me <laughs> he was gone like in a minute so yeah I've still got a little bit further to go actually I had to give a big apology to Gordo because I went on slow twitch and I did the promo for last week's show and I spelled his last name wrong so and he went on and said uh, <laughs> so, so sorry Gordo <laughs> Yeah. Uh, he wasn't happy. We actually managed to spell his name wrong on the luggage tags for Epic Camp as well. Oh, and he, th- he thought I was. He's not happy when people spell his name wrong. Oh, <laughs> it's great so, stuff. So Keep good. doing it. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, we're going to go into the interviews that we had with Scott and Ed. Um, we'll do Scott first, and then we'll quickly transition into Ed. Both of them are about 10, 15 minutes long, and uh, here they are right now. Hey guys, just letting you know that the sound was a little bit funny. There seems to be an echo in the background with my voice. And Scott does seem to speak quite quietly, so just persevere with it. There's some really good information in there, and uh, yeah, cool. Well, hey guys, so we've got Scott Molina here at the end of Epic Camp, and uh, we just thought we'd get Scott to give a bit of a wrap up of the camp. So, do you want to give us some detail, mate? Okay. Well, what do you what what's, what what can I say? It was probably the hardest camp um, we've done. Uh, are you recording? Yeah, yeah, yeah I'm on it. Yep. <laughs> it was, it was, I'm, I'm, a bit, I'm a bit pooped over here. Yeah, it's okay. Uh, it, was a, it, was, it was the hardest camp we've done. The, the, the total amount of climbing meant that we spent a heck of a lot more time on our bikes than I had planned when I uh, rode up the routes. Uh, and, but in general, you know, the guys held up very, very well. I thought 50, 55 hours, you know, that was the average for everybody for the yeah. first week. 
and that was huge. It was just massive, and um, and almost everybody held up the second week. Just a, just a little bit of attrition there at the end. So how did it go in those last few days? We talked to you a few days ago. How did it go in those last few days with the more fun kind of events? It went good. We had uh, some silly events like we always do, like standing broad jump. Uh, we ran up a mountain. We did a running race up a, up a ski hill. We did a, a bike time trial uphill. Uh, we did some some other silly events that Newsom cooked up. Um, so that was that was a cruisy fun day. Yeah. Uh, a lot of eating and sleeping in between events, um, and then we had two days to get back to Pao. It was supposed to be pretty relatively cruisy, but. Um, the 11th day, which was uh, Thursday, a bunch of guys tacked on, and they did 210k that day. Oh, really? It was huge. Yeah, like Dr. J, he had a 10-hour day that day. So I was a bit surprised. Yeah, I was a bit surprised, you know, that uh, that some people, because the ride was 160k, so they tacked on 50k to the end of that sucker. Wow. And, uh, that, yeah, yeah. So I was surprised that some people had that much energy that they really wanted to keep going. And so what was the general feeling around the camp for the guys on there at the end of the camp? Well, you know, they, it's, they're of two minds. They're, they're real tired and, and they're, not everybody completed the whole camp, you know. Uh, yeah. Just about everybody did. But the guys who completed the whole camp want, to, want it to, to be a challenge. They, don't, they want to, if, you know, a couple of them are, are planning on coming back and they, they, want, to, they want to know if they come to the camp that they're there's a possibility that they won't be able yeah. to complete it. You know? yeah. They want it to be hard. They want it to be hard. It needs uh, to be a challenge, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's the whole idea is to challenge everybody to their limits. Uh, and, and with the point system, hopefully we can do that without having uh, just the, the ordinary days, the minimum, uh, be too much. I never want the, just the minimum to be too much for the, for the people that uh, we accept. But, you know, I'm, I'm still going to have to say no to a lot of people. Uh, to who might want to do these camps, but I, I know just won't be able to handle it. Yeah. Well, what kind of criteria do you do there on, Scott? Well, we used to have a 10-hour Ironman criterion. You, you had to do 10 hours or better to come on the camps. But now I realize as long as they are very, very good cyclists, like if they can do an Ironman ride in about 510 to 520 or better, more like five hours, yeah. that, that they'll be able to stay with the group on the rides. And that's the main criterion. Like, for instance, if we go over a mountain and you get dropped, well, you've got a dozen guys riding in a pace line riding away from you. Mm -hmm. so you don't have, a, you never have a hope in hell of getting back on unless they wait for you. And we, and I don't want to make people wait all the time. Mm -hmm. you know, the idea is that the idea is that everybody in the camp should be able to test themselves to the limit, and they shouldn't be uh, always going just to the speed of the slowest guy. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, I can understand that. So, uh, who actually won the camp? What happened with the points? Uh, oh, who won the points? Right, uh, Mike Montgomery uh, won the points just ahead of Gordo. That was a good battle. Yeah, so it was nice having Mike here because Gordo needed uh, somebody to really push him without having Klaus uh, yeah. here, to keep him honest. Mike Montgomery certainly did a good job of that. Uh, I, w I was third, which was an, uh, oh, well pretty good for me. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and then there was a few guys right behind me, Jonathan Kelly uh, and Dr. J. Uh, were, were, were close close behind me and they were chasing all the way to the end which is kind of fun. Were there any pleasant surprises or anyone who surprised you in the points game? Um, yeah, there was. Uh, I, I, I didn't think Monica would do that well actually. She, I think she ended up sixth, sixth overall because uh, she had a very good break after Brazil 
and with with uh, 20 hard mountain climbs on the camp, you know, I thought it would just destroy her. But she got out of bed every day and did her swimming and did her running and wow. kept at it, kept at it, wow. kept at it. I remember actually you reading, I think it was an article you did while you were in New Zealand, uh, Epic Camp earlier this year, talking about the, the, those elite athletes, the day in, day out grind of just keeping at it day in, day out is so key to making it to the next level. Um, do you want to add some comments on that? Well, it, it is. It's, it, this is not a complicated sport. It's about endurance, enduring, about getting up and just stimulating your body a little bit every day to improve and not having big gaps you know where you backslide where your fitness goes backwards you just want to keep plugging away keep getting a little bit better a little bit better a little bit better it's it's a very very long process you know and you can't although the camps are are sort of designed to to maybe help people speed up the process a little bit uh... you know the the basic the basic idea to to be really good at this sport is to get out of bed and, and do some training every day Mm-hmm. Yeah, you used the term backing it up, and I kind of I actually use it as a bit of motivation for myself at times, which is good. Um, yeah, so um, from here, what's happening now with Epic Camps? Well, we've got um, January all, all teed up to, uh, to go around the South Island in January, finishing up with uh, the Challenge Queenstown, January 20th, and some people will do a relay. I think some people are planning on doing the whole event. I am. Uh, and and so the camp will be designed probably to let people rest a little bit uh, when we finish in Queenstown, have a few easy days uh, to uh, to rest up for the for the Ironman there, and then uh, next June we're going to Italy. Oh wow. we, haven't, we haven't done the routes yet, but we'll probably make it. The, since the mountains there are steeper, we'll probably try to to only have one massive climb maximum per day. The distances will still be probably very, very similar, but we won't have any days like we had here where we had three massive mountains uh, in a stage. You know, so we'll just we'll, we'll make, we'll make it, the climbing uh, a little bit more reasonable. Is that easy enough to, oh, so is that easy enough to coordinate? Like, can you actually, for, on your side of things, to coordinate the rides so you are able to do that, is that easy enough to do? Well, I, I didn't do my research well enough uh, prior to this camp. I, <laughs> I, 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 I honestly, I, 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 I've, I've read about these coals, and uh, you know, and I see the distances, and I see the percent grade, and all that. But until you actually do it day after day and back it up day after day, you don't realize the cumulative stress of it of how hard they are. Mm. And so, and so, going into Italy, I'll do more research and talk to more people. And, and be a little bit more careful with the route selection. Yeah, <laughs> the poor guys on this campaign. <laughs> yeah. Oh well. Oh well. Then we'll, uh, when you come when you come back to New Zealand, mate. I'm back on Friday. So is this you're leaving? You got a couple more days in France. Yeah, I got I got uh, some some older guys that I coach that I'm going to go visit, uh, and we're going to probably ride up Mont Blanc too, uh, oh. either tomorrow or the next uh, or the next day, and then uh, I head home shortly after that. And you've been watching much of the tour. Yeah, yeah, the time trial's on right now as we speak, so uh, um, we might catch up with that a little bit later tonight. Uh, cool, well, thanks for your time, Scott, and uh, we we'll, might we'll catch up with you once you're back in New Zealand. Okay, bye. All right, see you later. Next up, we had Ed McDebitt from America, who had just been completed in Epic Camp, and uh, have a listen, it's interesting. So, uh, we have Ed McDebitt, and he's from, he's actually originally from New York, but he's moved to Colorado, Boulder, Colorado, which is the triathlon mecca of the world and uh, he's been on Epic Camp so how you going Ed? 
Uh, I'm doing well. I'm, I'm a bit bit tired right now, and uh, looking forward to catching up on some sleep. But uh, but you know, feel, spirits are good still. And, and physically, you are. How is the body feeling? Body is uh, is a bit sore, but I'm actually racing in about two weeks. Oh, what? Uh, at Ironman Lake Placid. Oh wow! So it's taper yeah. big time from here, isn't it? Yeah, so it's it's a it's a very short taper we're in. In fact, I started tapering the last three days of Epic Camp, so to speak. So <laughs> trying to uh, keep the intensity down a bit as much as you can, but still doing the long stuff. So so overall, it should be an interesting experience. Yeah, I can imagine. So overall, what's um what do you think are the main things you've taken away from Epic Camp? Uh, for me, I um I'm coached by Scott Molina, and uh, I when I was in Boulder, I had a few bigger weeks. I would say up to about 30 hours with some intensity, some solid solid and I thought that was a lot and I, and I felt tired and and I actually got sick with nothing related to that and I thought well can I really handle a really high volume maybe that's not good for me and and after this camp you know I put in over 50 hours a week the first week and there was plenty of intensity I mean when we were climbing over the coals we're going over there's no easy way you have to go pretty hard and especially when you're a bit of competition on the line for king of the mountain points yeah um, it forces you to really, really uh, drill it a bit, and uh, I bounced back and was able to was able to handle it and uh, come out of the other side uh, feeling decent. So I'm I'm really happy to figure out that I can I can sort of test my limits and I'm able to handle this type of volume and this type of intensity and, and not you know uh, be in a black hole so to speak. What about mentally? Uh, mentally, it was a bit tough. Um, I would say about day eight or nine for me was sort of my dark period where it was uh, you really had to dig deep to uh, to get up the next day and get out there and do it. But when you come out the other side and you sort of back away a bit, uh, there's not there's no more rewarding feeling than, than getting through that. And and you know I, I think it's going to make an Ironman seem easy to be honest. Mm. If you get through this. Um, and so, like, if we look in a race comparison, what do you think you've learned about Ironman through doing such an epic type, you know, training? Um, I think, like an Ironman, you learn that you go through, you know, sort of good and bad patches, and that you have to pace yourself through it. So, through the camp, you know, you have some people who go really hard, really early in the first week or few days, and they end up really, really suffering the last few days. And then you have people that pace themselves easy in the beginning, and they're some of the strongest people at the end. Who might not be necessarily the strongest from a talent or base standpoint coming into the camp, but because they pace themselves well, they end up the strongest at the end. So you learn a lot about that, and that's great in, in terms of Ironman and racing, as well as you learn about, you know, sort of the ups and downs, so to speak. There are times on the bike at, at about, you know, the first 50K or so, and I thought, oh, my God, I'm, I'm dead. I'm tired. I'm, I'm worried I'm going to fall asleep and, and land in the, in the wheel in front of me or, or on the side of the road hit by a car. But, uh, but... All of a sudden, you have lunch, you have something to eat, you throw it on some cola, and, and you're feeling great. And all of a sudden, at the end, you're blasting off the front. So it's you go through so many peaks and valleys like an Ironman that you learn. You just have to be patient and stick with it. So Yeah, nice listen. If you can point out one day on the camp, you know, one day that was especially hard, what was that uh, day and why? Well, I, I don't know about especially hard, but I have to point out the highlight of the camp for me. And uh, that would be, uh, I'm coached by Scott Molina, and uh, we had this King of the Mountain Points competition. And one day up the uh, the Tourmalet, which is probably one of the bigger climbs we did, uh, both in grade and uh, length, and uh, probably about an hour and a half climb, I want to say. And uh, I I beat him up the climb. I would think I was third to the top, and yeah. that was definitely the the highlight of the camp was uh, beating my mentor <laughs> up the mountain. So 
It's funny you say that because I know when I beat Scott in Iron Man, it was a highlight of my <laughs> He's like 20 years older than me, but still, um, you know, there's pride in that. Um, okay, and what about the camaraderie on the camp? How'd you find that? Because it's a stressful environment, you know, and so to. I train a lot by myself in Boulder, and I think having the group environment is such a big benefit in terms of getting you up and out the door every day and getting you into the pool and getting you to you know, finish the rise and getting over the coals at a, at a, at a, a solid clip. And uh, that's why it made a huge difference, uh, the team morale and having people around you like Gordo and Scott. And uh, it, just, it just made life, it made it doable. I don't think you could do this on I could not do this on my own, I can tell you that. So. Do you think you may, like, you know, you're on, obviously on a high fitness-wise and all that, do you think you may find it hard going back home to, to normal life and, you know, getting back into the routine and all that stuff? Do you think that might be a hard challenge? I think it's going to be a big, I think you're going to look around and you're going to, you know, you put in, you're going to, for me, go back maybe do a 20-hour week and I'll be like, God, am I doing enough? You know, it's going to be sounds. But I, I think that could be a bit tough. Um, but to be honest, uh, you know, I'm excited to see my wife, and I have a, a little daughter at home too, who's about uh, nine and a half months old, and I'm excited to see them and get back yeah. into that routine uh, a bit. So, so I'm looking forward to it. And uh, lastly, do you see yourself doing an epic camp again in the future? Oh, absolutely. Uh, I would love to do up the camp again, and uh, you know, just a matter of uh, what fits best into my schedule. But uh, without a doubt, it's uh, it's a wonderful experience, and and these guys do a great job of, of organizing it uh, from from beginning to end, and every detail is taken care of. So oh, it's a wonderful experience. How do how do you hope to go on the Ironman in uh, Placid? Hey, Placid. Yeah, I'm 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 looking forward to it. I'll be uh, I'll be back uh, in the states for about. Uh, well, I'll be back. Not home, but uh, in Maine for about a week, and then I head down to the race venue and hoping to uh, to have a, a fast race there. So we'll see. But I think uh, I think it should go pretty well. You may make the age group of the week, mate. Eh? What's that? You may make age group of the week, or you're a pro. I'm not sure. Are you a pro? Yeah. Or no, I'm I'm an age grouper, so look for me. I think I, I think I'm hoping to make age grouper of the week. I there you go, mate. My platform run, yeah. That, that should be the goal for the Ironman. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I do have to say, I enjoy your show. I, I actually it gets me through many of a solo ride in Boulder, Colorado, and it's 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 uh, it's great listening. Hey, thanks, appreciate it, heaps. So, well, good luck, Ed, and we'll be looking out for you in the next couple of weeks, and uh, talk to you in the future. Great, cheers. Cool, thanks, mate. Bye. Thanks to Scott and Ed for those interviews. We're going to move into our very last section of today's show, which is question and answer time. And we might as well call this the Matthew question and answer show because this week we're just giving uh, Matthew a bit of a, a bit of a dig. And, uh, yeah, so let's start off with the first question. Do you want to start off with it? Righty ho. We've kind of already covered this a little bit, but with the st- he's right here with the start of the 2000 tour. Um, right, Tour de France right around the corner which has obviously started now and the cloud of the, the drugging uh, hanging around do the elite pros in triathlon fear that doping would ruin the sport if so what can be done um, so we kind of talked about that already mm. uh, and the fact that I think at this stage yes there are some, some drug issues out there and uh, obviously been highlighted by people like Nina Kraft winning uh, Hawaii EPO assisted um, at this stage though I'm still of the belief that it's not a really widespread problem in Ironman simply because there isn't enough money out there um, but I, I do think that it could be a major problem in the future so like I said if uh, WTC do test you know say the top 10 in every Ironman race I think yeah. that will drastically um, improve uh, the, the 
drastically decrease the risk of, the, of drug taking spreading um, rapidly, but I think it's always going to be there. Uh, I think in every sport you're going to get drug taking, and uh, it's very difficult to, for the authorities to stay one step ahead. But uh, obviously if they can keep testing, I think that will, will be a bit of a scare factor and uh, hopefully prevent it a bit more. Yeah, I, I'm kind of with you on this one. I think that the money factor is the big thing. Like an Iron Man, a top Iron Man, oh, probably makes what a million a year, maybe. You know, they're probably. Oh, I, I think that'd be with pushing sponsorship. It. I'm thinking. The, yeah, maybe the Hawaii. The guys who win Hawaii, they're making good money. But yeah, for but people who just maybe win a win an Ironman, maybe win Wisconsin and things like that. Again, that's only ten thousand US. Yeah, you got to so put that in perspective. So they're not winning. It's not, not a lot of money. Big, big money. Whereas you look at like American sports, like your basketball and gridiron and stuff like that, where guys can earn up to seventy million dollars. The thing is, for me, mm. there's two sides to this. A, <clears throat> drugs aren't cheap, I imagine, not that I know, but mm. I imagine drugs, having the supply of drugs and keeping that up constantly can't be cheap. So as you say, the Ironman athlete just can't afford that. And then second of all, even the, if they could, they wouldn't be able to afford the drugs that were the ones that the authorities can't find yet. You know, like exactly. Yeah, so they'll be using the drugs that maybe three or four years old that the authorities are on top of, and so even then it would be kind of silly for them to use the drugs. And so, um, uh, yeah, I'm plenty of silly people out there though. Yeah, that's true. So anyone's <laughs> looking for that edge. And so, yeah, um, yeah definitely. There will there's, there'll always be people who try, but definitely I think the money factor for now, like sure, if IMM were earning 70 million a year, I think it'd be prolific. And I think that's the thing with the cyclists yeah. is that they're earning really good money, and so. Um, they can afford to maybe you know take those risks financially as well. So yeah, definitely. Totally. So question number two from Matthew. Um, okay, so Matt, the second question Matthew sort of getting at is um, like a number of the guys are sort of nearing the end of their tether. You know, the likes of uh, Peter Reed, where well, he's obviously just retired. Um, the Debooms are getting on a bit. Um, Cameron Brown's sort of getting towards the end of his career. Mm. Um, he's sort of asking where's the next crop, crop coming from. Uh, they're all coming from New Zealand. So there's a short answer, Matthew. You should, yeah. you should be listening in previous weeks. We've been talking about them. Yeah. Um, but Matthew's sort of ben asking James whether there should be some sort of de- <laughs> there should be some sort of development program or under 23 program offering sort of support to aspiring Ironmen. And um, I kind of think. Uh, Possibly not so much an Ironman. I think um, the best path for aspiring athletes is probably to, to get some short course experience under their belts first. Uh, and, and again, it's just going to come back to money. Um, very, very difficult to make a living as a pro Ironman. Um, and so if you can learn to race well over half Ironman distance, I think you've got a much better chance of making some good money Um yeah, maybe doing a few halves plus some Ironman. So, I, I tend to think for under 23s, yeah, the best best um, platform is to is to become a good Olympic distance athlete and then sort of moving into Ironman. Mm. I think if you were to look at specific countries at the moment, it seems to be that the Germans are quite you know doing really well with Ironman, and you know obviously yep. down under we've got a few good Ironman coming through, which is really good. I imagine all countries have got them, and it's really who comes through that period, but. I know John has talked in the past about you know when he was with him and Bevan were overseas and learning their trade and uh, a lot of young yeah. guys don't really realise that it's it's a long time path and that you need to spend the years like Bevan did before he became the world champion where you just five years or so of just racing week in week out becoming an experienced athlete and learning your trade and and as John says being Ironman's probably not the best sport to do that initially at that age because it's just so harsh on your mm. body and the money's not there and you probably would be better off to spend a few years being 
you know, maybe more of an Olympic-sized athlete, and then maybe in your twilight years, if you want to go down that path. I don't know. It's a tough one. And I think, I think the um, the European athletes have quite a big edge over the rest of the world there because they've got such a strong club structure, um, and they get support from their clubs. Whereas, you know, say in New Zealand, it's very much you're on your own, and if you want to. If you want something to happen, you've got to make it happen yourself. Whereas in Europe, uh, especially say in Germany, France, very strong club structure, um, and so you can get assistance from your local town council, and and there's, there's just better infrastructure over there than, than say what we've got in New Zealand. So mm. a little bit easier for them. Their, their travelling costs are a lot less, um, and they've probably got more support when they're on the road. So well, it's interesting. I used to yeah, I think oh, I used to own some massage clinics okay. a few years ago, and I had a guy who came over from Ukraine to actually work uh, for me as a massage therapist. And uh, at that time, he was really into his triathlon. And, and I think our, our races aren't too badly run here, but he was really disappointed in the level of the events over here. And that's, he felt over back home that the events were just so well organized. And I imagine it comes from that point you make there. Mm. Yeah. Which, but very, again, I think. Very, oh, you go. It's very difficult to make any money in New Zealand. There's, there's only a, you know, you count on one hand the number of races that have got good money. So, mm. Um, mm. yeah, you basically got to get, get go abroad. Mm. Okay, third question from uh, Matthew was uh, he's taking his first first Ironman in 18 days, which is probably less than that now. And so, uh, did you read this probably, question? Probably uh, Lake Placid. I, no, I haven't got that one, but I'd imagine it'll be Lake Placid, is it? Yeah, it must be, yeah. Cycling World never mm-hmm. thought it... Wait, see, I'm just trying to read what he's written here. Uh, um, Remember the five Ps, Bevan. Yeah. <laughs> 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 well, he's just wondering if, if we'll ever see someone do six Ironmans again, win six um, champions again, you know, basically like Mark Allen's record. Can anyone ever do it again? Well, Natasha Badman's going to... Uh, I think Natasha Badman may eclipse Paul and Yubi Fraser this year. Um, Ed McDevitt, who you've who've interviewed earlier, said mm. we should be uh, checking up our, on our, our research a bit more clearly. Apparently, made a couple of blunders a few weeks ago, but I think um, I think uh, Natasha Badman uh, she's going to be going close. So I, I don't see any reason why not. Um, whether they ever go under eight hours in Hawaii, I think they're going to have to have some pretty serious motivation to be able to to do that. Um, I think that's a big question. A lot of people will answer is. What's it going to take to get somebody to go under eight hours in Hawaii? And uh, if they put up a huge amount of money, I think that's going to um, excite people just to, to go for it and just go for it on the bike and just hammer themselves and, and risk it. But yep. again, on the, on the flip side of that, I think um, when you start putting up these really big prize purses, that's when the drugs start to come in again and people go, well, man, I'm just going to take this risk and um, if I pull it off, I'm going to make an awful lot of money and it'll all be worthwhile. So I think... Um, yeah, the, the money side of things. So is why why do you 22. feel it hasn't happened? Like I know we feel nowadays that the runners aren't as strong. Do you think that's why? Because the focus has gone more onto cycling with the sport. Yeah, I do, well, I think that at the end of the day, Mark Allen and Dave Scott were just two phenomenal, phenomenally talented athletes. Um, I think the only other person that's really come close to them has been uh, Luke Van Leerd. Um, he, I think he potentially could have done it, um, but at the moment, I don't really see anybody who I think can go sub eight um, at mm. the moment it, it means you've got to be the, a fantastic all round athlete you've got to be right up there in the swim you've got to be able to ride with the front guys and then you've got to be able to rip a, you know those guys used to rip 240 240 245 marathons um, these guys you know you, these these days you see the guys winning Hawaii tend to be going 250 something around there 
Um, so I think we need to get somebody who can really rip the run again, and that's going to be. Uh, that's not, I haven't really seen anybody at the moment that that I think is going to break eight hours at Hawaii. Do you feel maybe also because of the fact that there's not maybe because you know Mark Allen and Dave Scott, you had two people who are always at each other's back. That competition also drove them to be better. Do you feel there's you know there's not those two kind of stars that have a similar level that you know that competition factor as well. It's. I think the, the field's a lot deeper now, um, so it is a lot closer. So we, it's, it's harder for us when we have to pick our triathlon tantalisers. Oh, Back in those days, we would have been sweet. We would have just gone, right, Mark Allen's going to win Dave Scott in the second or, or one, one or the other, and it wouldn't have been much wouldn't competition. Wouldn't have had to do the six P's um, then. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, so it's, the racing's a bit closer. Um, but no, we don't have those, those the, the really dominant force that we've had, mm. Um, mm. had from sort of the 80s. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, sorry. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I was thinking, Matthew, for our questions. We do actually have a couple of questions to catch up on, but we're going to do those next week. So, um, so for those of you've been waiting, sorry about that. But we are back on order next week, and I tell you what, next week we're going to dominate the five P's so, or six P's. Gonna, <laughs> it's going to be a bumper edition next week. Bumper edition. So, so, uh, so when you're jumping on the plane, mate. I've got another, about another 10 or 11 hours sitting in Singapore Airport while well, I'm going to go into town, but uh, it's a long time between drinks out here, I tell you. It's yeah, a long time, all right. And then back home, mm. what time do you get back home? Get back home, middle of the day on Wednesday, and okay. uh, yeah, looking forward to that, and uh, I'll be out on the bike in a few days after that, showing you my immaculate hill climbing technique learned from France. And, bring it on, bring it on. <laughs> Should be good. Okay, mate. Well, you uh, have a safe flight home, and we'll catch up for you soon. Um, I'm going to go home and go for a bit of a ride, and then cruise it for the rest of the day. It's my day, and then uh, we'll catch up with everyone out there. If you've got any questions, feel free to email us at ironmantalk at gmail.com. Uh, check out the website for show notes, plus check out John's website, which is triathloncoach.net. I threw you on at the end, didn't I? For any coaching, John, yeah. uh, very professional Ironman coach who's uh, obviously known all around the world. Superstar you are. <laughs> and uh, so that's kind of cool. So go check out John if you want some coaching. Um, and again, if you and if anybody does want to um, just catch up on what was going on in Epic Camp, if you go to epiccamp.com, there's uh, a number of blogs up there from myself, Scott, and uh, a few of the athletes, and there's also sort of daily pictures. So, no, he didn't. He was uh, hanging out with his wife the whole camp. His oh. wife Monica was on the camp, so, so he was uh, wasn't that quality. He was having quality time. Um, but Epic Camp, Epic Camp New Zealand is now officially open, so we're taking registrations for that. So if you think you're up for the challenge, um, you can get in touch with us. And uh, we're also now beginning to plan Epic Camp Italy for next year. So it'll be similar time to to this. You should have Italy this year, mate. With the soccer. The soccer. Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, no, it was pretty crazy in France. Was it? Yeah, so they were a bit disappointed. I can imagine. Old Zinedine Zidane doing the old headbutt technique yeah, wasn't wasn't was, too good. That was a bit, bit crazy, wasn't it? Anyway, mate, right yeah. now, you, guys, you have a safe trip home, and uh, we'll catch up with you guys same time, same place next week, and Ironman Talk. See you then.